Hey, sweet friends, and welcome to the Restoration Road podcast. I'm so excited to share with you this amazing conversation with my sweet friend, Diana, who's going to be sharing her testimony about walking through a journey of becoming a widow and how that process has shaped her, shaped her faith, really just challenged her, how she dealt with the grief in the beginning and how the process has even though it's been ongoing, she has found joy in the journey and how she chooses to make those daily choices to walk in the light and to live how her husband would have wanted her to live, to live with joy and to live choosing life. And her testimony is such a gift and a blessing. I hope that you will find it life-giving and full of really encouraging nuggets that will minister to your soul if you have walked through any seasons of grief, particularly if you have lost a spouse or a loved one. And one of the scripture verses that she shares with us during this podcast is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And we really talk a lot about choosing to live in spite of our hard circumstances, in spite of our grief, and really just intentionally choosing to not get stuck. We also reference a, a book that we both recently read by Christine Kane called Don't Look Back. So I will put everything that we mention in the notes so you can look up any links that you are interested in to kind of help you if you need some tools on your journey through grief. This podcast is always all about restoration and hope and what the Lord can do when we fully surrender to Him and allow Him to heal those places in our heart that we need healing. And so without further ado, here is my conversation with my friend, Diana. Because of the context, I'll just begin with uh, the fact that I was married 40 years to my husband, yeah. the love of my life, the only really man I was ever serious about. We we dated three years and we got married. Actually, we eloped. A lot of people don't realize that we eloped. I was 19 and he was 20. We were babies. Oh, you were and, babies. Uh, yeah. The agreement was that. We would keep it our secret until the end of the school year. We wanted to finish that school year. And the following, we were eating cheese, but we went to Livingston, Alabama, got married. I don't know why people went there, but that was where everybody went in those days. We came back to Vicksburg and uh, we were eating cheeseburgers at 2.30 in the morning from an all night truck stop. And we were at work at 7.30 the following morning. And, uh, I had a weekend job, and he did, too. He was a, an ambulance driver. I chickened out the Saturday after. I said, no, I have to tell my mother. I cannot keep this secret from my mother. But he never did tell his father until we, went, we stayed. We lived apart on campus until May. They waived the age. He was supposed to be 21. He was one month shy of 21 to getting hired as a police officer. And they waived it and hired him at 20. So that's when he told his father. And I don't think his father really believed it in the beginning that we'd been married that long, but uh, we were. So my mother had bought a house after my father died, teeny tiny little bitty house. And she hated the location. She just told me, she said, 
take up payments and you and Jimmy can have the house. And so we had our little house right off the bat. Our payment was $74 a month. I look at it now, go to Vicksburg and ride by it. It's in a terrible part of town now and it's not safe, but I have so many sweet memories of that little bitty house. But we were married like all other marriages. We had ups and downs and highs and lows. And there were days he could have killed me and I could have killed him. But we struggled through. And I'm happy that we did. Which um, in March 2010 is when I had my massive heart attack followed in two weeks by a stroke. And it was a one-year recovery. He was It was therapy and getting my speech back and getting my strength back on the right side and going. And he was just, um, he was amazing. He was the caretaker. He was my voice. He was my strength when I couldn't stand anymore. He was there at the end of the year in March. He said, somehow he thought one year was the magic number. He said, "Uh, we're going to be fine now. And of course, two weeks later, he was killed. Uh, on this motorcycle. Um, uh, he was a police motorcycle rider. It was a line of duty death, but uh, he was killed two weeks later. And that's how I got here. He, I think he thought I would die first. Oh, gosh. That morning, um, because of my recovery, he would. <laughs> everybody laughed at him. He would not let me go upstairs. He was afraid I would have a heart attack. So we slept downstairs and he never woke me before he left. He he just left and our, our little dog jumped up and woke me up. And I was sitting there and he came in and he said, what are you doing up? And I said, well, Dixie jumped up on me and he said, well, I'll see you at noon. He was going to be off at noon that day. I still regret not getting up and hugging him, but I said, be careful. And he got on the motorcycle and left. It, it was a, less than an hour later that Jamie called me and said they had called him saying he'd been in an accident. And I will honestly tell you, he'd uh, ridden a motorcycle for a long time and he'd had a couple of little fender benders before and I thought it was going to be that. They said a police car is on the way to pick you up. I should have known by then. So I dressed and Tina was like, why are you taking your time dressing? I said, the, the car hadn't gotten here yet. We're fine. Like I said, all the signs were there, but I just didn't see it. Police officers everywhere and all of these people, and they took us to a little room, and uh, and then this ER surgeon came in and started telling us. And again, I thought he was going to say he's hurt worse than you thought so, but when he finally said he didn't make it, I never in the, my wildest dreams imagined that uh, that's what they were going to say. He had the internal injuries, and there was pressure and when they relieved the pressure, that was it. He just, and I always had this horror that I didn't make it in time to tell him goodbye. And also that he was alone. Nobody mm-hmm. was there with him. The fireman came to me and he said, I, I never left him. I stayed with oh, him wow. the whole time. And, um, and he really thought he was going to, they all thought he was going to be okay, but just it went south all of a sudden and it, it was it. So. Mm. I know that that is just so hard to retell. And I just thank you so much for, for doing that. I know that, you know, just for anybody listening, I've been blessed to know Diana for so many years and she is such a gift and such a light. And she, and she teaches me so much in my own marriage about how to be a wife, how to be a mom. And it makes me want to cry, but her testimony with her marriage 
is still ongoing. It's still living and active in my own life. And I know in other people's as well. And, and so I was so thankful when you said that you would be willing to come on and share your testimony about, about what it's like to lose your spouse and lose your love of your life. The one who that God gave you. And, you know, as we know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and we have the gift of being believers and sisters in Christ. And so we do have that hope to know that we will see Jimmy. You will see Jimmy. We know that, but there's still that, that grief, that, that morning, you know, I would just love it if you could talk about what that was like in the beginning. How was the grief process in the beginning? You used the word earlier and maybe when you pray, but anyway, journey, and it, it, mm. it's a journey. I think some people journey may be linear, but most people I think are like mine. It's it's a roller coaster up and down. The first eight months, I'm, I will tell you, eight months seems to be my magic number. But but um, I, I I didn't handle I didn't handle it very well. I had a lot of anger and a lot of mm. um, guilt and regret. I didn't I didn't know how to process the anger that I had. In, I always had family around. They would not leave me alone. And mm. but that's not always good either. Sometimes you need to be alone. I can tell one story. We had uh, that Christmas. I had some Snow Village collection that, and we never had room in at our house in Clinton to put everything up. So we set up a little village. When we took down our Christmas decorations that year, that was the year of the recovery. Mm. And we were looking at the snow and he's snow village. And he said, you can leave it up if you want to. It's still winter. And I said, okay, we left it up. And I said, I'll take it down in the spring. He died in March, of course. But I would go, I would sneak down to that house and turn the little lights and everything. on. I kept saying, when the battery dies, and I'll know it's time to take it down. And that's, but Mm -hmm. I would just turn it on by myself in the house. I needed just to be alone and sometimes with him. And sometimes mm-hmm. I needed to, I would just ride in the car. Sometimes I just sat in the car. I just sat there all by myself. I was angry with the man who caused the accident. I was angry with myself. I was angry with his mother. I was angry with a lot of uh, different, and the circumstances. But at eight months, I, on our wedding anniversary, October 30, I uh, went to Broadmoor for my very first time. And then um, that following week, and Rob Futrell had been a part of the funeral because we lived in Clinton and there was a reason we couldn't do it in Clinton. So we had his funeral at, at Rodmore. What a gift he was because mm. he said on the day of the funeral, he said, do you mind if I tell my story about Jim Hen? I said, no, please, you know, please do. So I texted him that following week telling him, I, I just really need to talk. I need so he and Commandria and I had lunch and uh, I, I did all the talking. They they didn't share much, but that was the beginning. He he said, you know, Misty's uh, his sister's mother-in-law had recently lost her husband. He said, I think you would hit it off real mm-hmm. well. And he called her and told her that, and she did. She immediately called me and we met and we became fast friends, but we, we understood each other. She was. She, we really think a lot, a, a lot alike. And then I went to the choir, and that's when I met you. And so many. That's when things began to change for me because I, I really, I, I wasn't alone. So, and I didn't yeah. just depend on my children. So. Mm. Mm. I love that. That gives me goosebumps. Like 
how sweet and tender of the Lord to give you a good friend who had just recently been through exactly what you had been through. Absolutely. And, and he, he, uh, when he entered, he said, I knew you would get along, but I mean, he, I don't think even he realized how close we would become. We still have lunch. In fact, I'm babysitting her dog next week. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Just a good friend, a good friend. Yes. Oh, there's there's nothing like it. That's such a blessing. And then, of course, we could talk about choir for hours. I mean, what a... How much? (laughs) How much? So fun did we have? And and it made such a... And, you know, um, in Vicksburg, I always sang in the choir. But when we moved to Clinton, we were there 10 years. I didn't at all. So when I did it at Broadmoor, that was a big step because I had not Mm -hmm. been in the choir in years. But... uh, I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. yeah, me too. Me too. That's awesome. Yeah. When you were experiencing anger, anger at all these different people and the circumstances, did you experience anger with God? You know, I don't ever remember being angry with God. I questioned. I did not understand how I should be dead and he should be alive. I don't ever remember saying, you know, why did you do this? But just why him and not me? In Isaiah 55, it says, you know, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts are higher. And so don't try to figure it out. I, I spent every day trying to figure out. And, and Amy Taggart told me the same thing. He said, be careful. We can't figure God's, you know, he, he uh, has a plan. So that is so powerful. Absolutely. And I, like I said, maybe I was because I was very angry, but I don't remember ever blaming God. You know, I, I don't remember that. So, yeah. Did you go to grief share or did you go to a grief counselor? How did you eventually get through the anger part of the grief process? I went to grief share that they had a Christmas holiday one and I mm. went there first. That helped a lot. It really helped a lot because one of the questions was, how are you going to celebrate Christmas? And I mean, nine out of 10 of those people said, not at all. I'm leaving town, no lights. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. He loved Christmas and I'm going to honor him by having the, and we did, we add decorations every year. That's because he loved it. So it helped me a lot to say, it's okay. You know, it's okay. You don't have to live in the dark when when mm. you use somebody in the and that just meant a lot. So then I followed that with the regular grief share, and you know I have mixed feelings about it because, and I I think I told the leader I said I don't I don't those people seem so cold, and I was still so very emotional, and and mm. um, he said there are a lot of years facing for them, you know. That, but I will tell you, and I encourage people to go because. Again, I met Anne and Carolyn and Grief Share. They had recently lost. So you do have good friends who experience the things, same things you. So I encourage it. I did a little counseling with the COPS organization and it helped too. That really helped get rid of my, uh, some of my anger. So uh, they had counselors there. That helped too. I encourage. I wish I could had done more and I wish I had done. And, and often I thought I should go through grief, share again. But So I encourage people to do that. Yeah. That's so good to know. What about any type of coping mechanisms? Did you develop any type of coping mechanisms to help you deal with the grief, maybe either healthy or not healthy? I have to say probably more, more not healthy than healthy than, than I did. I would, uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but 
you know, on days when I would think I would wake up and think, not today, I just can't do this today. And so I would say, I'm going to go buy something. I, I, I did a lot of, I made a lot of bad financial choices. You know, I, I, in the end, I know, and, you know, God had to reveal this to me. He really had to say, because for a long time, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And he finally mm. had to say, this is not filling your hole. This is not, oh. this is not making you uh, okay. It, it was bad for me. It, it, it was really a bad thing. And I would, I'd take my daughter along and I said, let's go buy something. Let's go, you know, and for the first time in my life, I didn't have to answer to anybody. I was not accountable to anybody. So I, I'll spend what I want to spend. And it was, it was not healthy. It was bad. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that anybody who has walked through grief, which is basically anybody, maybe not the loss of a spouse, um, but we all have grief seasons. And I think the tendency as humans is to have that quick fix that <laughs> I want to feel better right now. And so yeah. it's so easy to justify whatever it is that we reach for, for comfort, like you said, but it doesn't fill our, our hole. It does not. It does not fill the hole. Do you remember when the Lord convicted you about it? It's not been as many years ago as you would think. Maybe like three years ago, you know, kind of like this this, um, P28, pray about one thing Mm. uh, for one minute at one o'clock every day and see the results. And and that year, that particular year, I said, I'm not going to pray about one thing. I'm just going to pray for surrender. I went through this process for a long, long time. I think it's encouraging to think about the Israelites and how long they wandered around. Same thing. Same thing. Exactly. I think I've said this to you before. Aren't we all Israelites? Or aren't we yes. so hard headed? And yes. We think we can fix us. And, and I can't fix me. And it took me a long time to realize I can't fix me. And uh, he's faithful. And he's been there always. So patient with me. So patient. I love that so much. How has losing Jimmy grown your faith, changed your faith, challenged your faith? Well, as I said earlier, I, I did have a lot of questions and trying to figure God out. If you'd known him, he had the most pure childlike faith that I have ever mm-hmm. seen in any adult. And after he left me, I'm like, I want to be like him in the Bible, reading and, and I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be like him to be like Jesus because he was so, so simply trusting. I mean, it was, it it was amazing. But being around you and being in our Bible studies and prayer groups has also helped me to grow too. So I love that. I love that the Lord gives us a group of, you know, women um, in particular, because that's what we've been doing for years and years together as friends and, and sisters in Christ. But I love that Jimmy had the kind of faith that you want to emulate. Like what an amazing testimony and yeah. legacy. Do you have triggers that trigger something, some grief in you, maybe a holiday or a song? Well, I've, I've said a lot of times that almost everything reminds me of him in some way. I can have a glass of sweet tea and say, boy, he loved his sweet tea. I don't know if you knew that for years we were in a country band and and sang. And he he never was a country music fan. So he always wanted to do more pop. And he even tried a little rock and roll. So one year he decided he was going to sing. And every time I heard the song that was played on uh, Hill's Kitchen Fire, that was his song. 
on his one year anniversary, we had this little thing at the cemetery and and we were playing that song because when oh. when you hear fire, I mean <laughs> so things like that. But he also I sang uh, years ago uh, this Amy Grant uh Tis So Sweet and he loved, loved, loved that song. And so every time I hear that song, I you know, I think of him since I'm thirty four. 18, which is uh, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted mm. and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I just latched onto that verse because I near is what I needed to hear. He's near and, and um, I'm never alone. But- I love that you share that so much because I was reading this morning in the Psalms and um, right before that, right before that, it says the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. And the widow. I'm not, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Oh, my goodness. I had no yeah. idea that those two scriptures were so close together, which so, makes perfect yeah. sense. Yes, exactly. And, you know, um, I, I would tell them, I, I just think it's amazing how many verses in the Bible about widows. God loves widows. How have you felt God when you were in the valley? He's always provided something when I was there. It Mm -hmm. might be a friend texting or calling. It might be one of my sisters, Barbara, was good about Mm -hmm. calling. She she seemed to know when I really needed, so she would call and or a scripture or a book or a God wink, you know, that that Mm -hmm. just he always provides something to say. I am here. You know, when Job said, I have heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. And that's mm. the way I feel because he he just reveals himself in in different ways. And, and he always makes himself known. Everything triggers something about it. It's easier mm. now. I, you know, I don't fall apart like I used to fall apart, but it never leaves. That, that yeah. just never leaves. You cannot... You can't not love that deeply and be loved so deeply mm-hmm. and say so you can get over it. I, I don't think you can. It does change. If I wanted to today, I can go in there and I have this huge picture that I talk to all the time. I know that may not be healthy, but it, it helps me. But um, I could cry if I wanted to all day long. I go on, but I choose not to mm-hmm. because I don't think he would want me to do that. I think he would want me to find joy in everything and I think you grieve forever, but you find joy in memories and you find joy in just remembering in your children or or your friends, that kind of thing. It's not the same grief, but it's grief forever. Yeah. Yeah. In my view. Yeah. I love that. That's so, that makes so much sense. And, um, you know, you and I say all the time that grief and joy can coexist. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, Another favorite verse, I have a picture on my wall, is when it says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And, mm. and I believe that. I, I, I believe that. We can, we can do both. Yeah, I love that so much. And only the goodness of God can allow that to even be possible. When you know where they are and what they're doing, and it's a blink of an, it's it's an eternity for us as we get ready to go to them, but we still know his promises are always yes and amen. And we're going to meet. We'll be with him again. So Yes. I cannot wait to meet Jimmy in heaven. I'll tell you um, what. I feel like I know him. I'm so excited. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. He was, he was an awesome guy. You know, I was thinking that um, every, everybody talks about his smile and his blue eyes. So they're, they're just the thing. 
But if you walked in a room, a crowded room, and you didn't know, you could hear him laugh over everybody else. He had this laugh. But but the thing I miss the most is the very first time we did a joint Sunday school, couples Sunday school class. I think that's what I miss the most is hearing him pray. It, It was just such a, he was a faithful prayer warrior. I love that so much because I'm blessed to be in a Bible study with you where I get to hear you pray on a weekly basis. And it's beautiful. You are like Jimmy. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you for saying that. The day that um, I had my stroke, that's the first memory I had was him and my children holding hands in the hall praying for me because the stroke was so scary for them. And, um, And every prayer he closed with, in Jesus' sweet and precious name. That's how he Every prayer he closed, and that's on his his marker, his grave marker, because that was his trademark. And I was so blessed because he was the chaplain with the uh, one of the police associations, and the guy gave me a bunch of tapes. He always prayed that he gave me a bunch of tapes so I could hear him pray. So uh, wow, that's amazing. Whenever we would go to David's parents' house for any holidays, his dad would always pray for every meal that we would eat. And he, I mean, we've been married 18 years and every single prayer he started with our most gracious heavenly father, every single one. And I always, I just loved it because we'd all stop what we're doing and we would pray together as a family. And I knew the last time we went to visit him, it it was probably going to be the last time we heard him pray. And so I stepped back and I videoed it. And then that next. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So that next, he passed away around Thanksgiving. And then for Christmas, David's mom came to be with us. And when we, when we said the blessing before we ate our meal, I I played that video and it was just, I was so thankful that I did that. Our first Thanksgiving, um, and all the family was there and the kids. And I can remember we paired ourselves for Thanksgiving and ourselves for Christmas. But the hard day was New Year's. I, I never dreamed. I said, I wow. didn't want to start my new year without him. Mm. You know, it's a mm. whole new year. And I wasn't ready for that. So uh, yeah, triggers are everywhere. Gosh, that's powerful. You, you know, you would just never think about that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was telling that when uh, Andy Taggart's son died we were all trying to mm. and I said that was harder for me than any was New Year's it's a whole wow. new year and, and they're gone yeah. so that makes sense what is something that someone said to you in your grief that really helped you I know sometimes we are close friends with somebody who loses somebody really important in their life and we feel like I don't know what to say I don't I don't have the words what is something that someone said to you that really just ministered to you there was a lady it was a police funeral, so the visitation line was pretty long. And there was this lady who waited in the line, and she, when she got to me, she said, I don't know you, you don't know me, and I really didn't know your husband, but I wanted to tell you, I will cry out. She said, um, he sold T-shirts for uh, raised money for Special Olympics. He was very involved in Special Olympics. And she said, he was selling a T-shirt, and she said, I took my little boy who has Down syndrome to buy a, a T-shirt, and he was gawking his motorcycle and she said your husband looked at him and said would you like to get on that motorcycle and she said he grinned and he lifted him up and put him there and took and he was the happiest she said and she said I just wanted you to know how wonderful 
he was to us. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have to do that. And so that was what meant everything to me for people to tell stories uh, about wow. him and, and talk about it. That's And by the time his visitation was over, I was like, what an honor mm. that God let me be his wife. What an honor because he was cherished. He was a loved man and mm. such an honor. So, yeah. Wow. That that's really powerful. I, that helps me to know what to do in that situation. So thank you for Absolutely. sharing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. It makes a big difference. Yeah. You and I both recently read Don't Look Back by Christine Kane. What was something that you took away from that that just really resonated with you? I think one thing that I got, if, if you stop growing, if you stop learning, then you're, you're stuck. Deuteronomy 13, 30, 19, which says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Choose life. And that, don't look back. And then choose life. It made me know, we don't get stuck. You know, ah, just don't get stuck. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. I am so proud of you and so honored to know you. And I'm thankful that you use your testimony to minister to others, encourage others. And just, you're such a gift and a blessing. I'm forever grateful for your friendship. Thank you. You know how much you mean to me. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful conversation with my sweet friend. I mean, what a gift to be able to hear her testimony about overcoming and being able to choose joy and life and admitting that there is so much anger in the beginning of of losing somebody we love and that, you know, just trusting the process and getting involved with grief share and counseling and, and talking and reaching out to others and not isolating and, um, you know, just being honest with how long the journey and the process can be and talking about some unhealthy coping mechanisms that we all experience if we're honest. And so I'm so grateful for her testimony. And one of the things that God has really done with her life is she has been um, such a Titus II woman in my life. And I'll just read that scripture over you as you end this podcast. And I would really encourage you, if you are a younger woman or an older woman, listen to these words and let them just minister to your soul about the need for community as women in one another's lives and how important it is in Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5 and I'm reading from the Passion Translation just because I like the wording of it. It says, likewise with the female elders, lead them into lives free from gossip and drunkenness and be teachers of beautiful things. This will enable them to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children and to be self-controlled and pure taking care of their household and being devoted to their husbands. By doing these things, the word of God will not be discredited. I pray that this will be a blessing to you today. And thank you so much for joining us on the Restoration Road.